From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline@ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Our celebrity call screener today is Mr. Tom Price and Ace McKay handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube and Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is here every Thursday from Portland, Oregon, Father Brian Milady. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. So you're going to talk about Catholic education today. Yes. Well, uh, education in general, but especially as uh, respects our experience of it, at the moment, what it should be and what it actually is. This is Catholic Schools Week, and so it's most fitting. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, a layman, the other day, and he was lamenting, I guess you could say, the demise of schools in our country. Uh, After all, when Harvard's principal faculty are all in trouble for plagiarism now... (laughs) And it seems that they don't have um, much on the ball intellectually. One wonders what is actually going on with the whole thing. Now, as a product of Catholic schools, I went to the sisters during the 50s. Then I changed. My my father was transferred. And so I went. I couldn't afford the Catholic school where I was, and it was rather far away. So instead, in high school, I went to public school. So I have an experience of both. The purpose, let's just say it first of all, of all education is to supplement parental uh, instruction. So the parents are the primary educators. Also, in Catholic ideas, the primary purpose of all education is not to impart reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's a school or education in the virtues. That's what its final uh, impetus actually is. Well, that being said, why don't we have that today? Because we don't in many, many places. And part of the reason is because of our whole idea which is involved in education and truth. As someone who's been a lifelong educator, when I took teacher training many years ago, uh, 
in Los Angeles, we were asked, because these people were all teachers, we used to go after school, by our professor, who was a Lutheran who had been a public school teacher in Los Angeles for 20 years, to describe why you discipline children. So this nice young lady who taught the sixth grade said, well, you discipline children to keep them from interfering with each other's freedom. So the self-discovery they can make within is something they can be uh, set free to examine. In other words, it's about the self. So when we got to me, they said, why do you think you discipline children? And I said, well, you discipline them to make them better. Well, she looked at me and she said, where did you ever get a ridiculous idea like that? Well, I said, you'll find it in Plato and Aristotle. Well, the teacher said, started to laugh, and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been waiting for 20 years for someone in this class to mention Plato and Aristotle. Thank you for doing it. Because remember, they were concerned for the objectivity of education. In other words, truth for them was the conformity of the mind to the thing. And all things being equal, and St. Thomas would more or less describe it this way, things reflect the truth which God has put in them because he's the origin of the difference between X, Y, and Z. The human mind discovers such a truth and the more it conforms to what it's discovered in things, the more it conforms to the truth which God has placed in the world. But the human mind or human subjectivity or human emotions or however you want to put it, doesn't discover any, it doesn't make the truth of anything, it merely discovers an already existing truth. Now, the last 200 years since the beginning of the Enlightenment has been a progressive attempt which culminated with Kant, the German philosopher Kant, to basically evade this truth. Kant agreed with certain philosophers in the 18th century that you couldn't find the truth objectively in things. This is especially true of the truth of God, which should be the primary object of our study in all schools. But he was a pious, passionate and pious German Lutheran. So he believed that you had to know something about God, but he didn't believe you could find it in nature. So he said, well, if the things aren't true because they received this plan from the hands of a loving creator, then the truth must be in me. Whatever I need, whatever I think, however I feel, whatever I'm like, that's what the truth is, and it can change. And you determine truth democratically, basically, by voting on it. There were philosophies in the 80s that were very popular. Lawrence Kohlberg springs to mind, which became for the Catholic church, unfortunately the source of their ideas about truth in Catholic schools, where Kohlberg basically thought 
again, that there wasn't anything inherently intelligent in the world, that my feelings created the truth. And he also believed that there were eight stages, six stages of human development. And the last one was you just did it because it was right. Not because you could find anything in the world to justify this. He believed there were only two or three people in the whole world in history that actually discovered this. And our Lord was one, but not because he was God, just because he was an intelligent and good person. Unfortunately, the little known truth is that after he became like the touchstone for all Catholic education, he uh, was a Jewish philosopher at Harvard. He drove his car into the Atlantic Ocean and committed suicide because he despaired of finding anyone who actually knew any truth at all. Now, our celebration of Catholic Schools Week should be an attempt to return to the truth of the gospel and the truth of authentic philosophy, the truth of reason and the truth of faith. John Paul II sought to hold it out to us, in which we actually do enter into the reality of things that pre-exist our feelings about them and should be the standard of judging our feelings as human or not by our study. That's the purpose of our study, to resolve our wonder about things. The ultimate object of our study has to be God, and of course it's Christ is the way to God now that would include Christ, and that uh, this is not only possible, but it is desirable. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, pick up the phone and give us a call. We've got open phone lines for you at 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271. 2712985 If you're in the United States and Canada give us a call 833-288-EWTN That's 833-288-3986 It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, if you're listening to us on an AM or FM radio station around the United States, we 
ask that you keep those good folks in your prayers and support them financially if you're able to do so. They're doing great work for you, and I can tell you firsthand, nobody's getting rich in Catholic Radio. So this is a labor of love for them, and they would appreciate your support. If you don't have an AM or an FM Catholic Radio station in your area, uh, pray about it and see if maybe our Lord is tugging at your heart to help play a role in making that happen. If you think that might be the case, then we've got somebody who's waiting to talk to you about just that. Uh, you can email Steve. Just put it to Steve's address at radio at EWTN.com. Uh, email Steve at radio at EWTN.com for more information. 833-288-EWTN. We've got wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Jeremy writes in, what does it mean to say that the soul is the form of the body? What is the soul? The soul being the form of the body uh, expresses the truth that there are in fact many life forces so there's a life force in plants, there's a life force in animals, and there's a life force in man or human beings. The soul is the recognition of that life force. The only living beings have souls. Now, not all souls are immortal, but only those souls which reflect a certain kind of activity. In the case of plants and animals, their activity ends with material creation. And so plants have their glory where they show forth the flowers or the fruit or whatever. Animals eat this and demonstrate the unity of many different functions in one thing. But only in man... Can we go beyond the material or to the spiritual? And the fact that we have a spiritual side, no matter how many, how many times people might deny it, constantly rears its head, its ugly head, well, I would say good head, to show that there's something more to us than merely our material selves. We have, I was watching a television show the other day, and... It's kind of risque, really, a news show, but they're talking about these things they're trying to implant in our brains. And they're supposed to help paraplegics or something like that, but like everything good, they open up the possibility of someone reading our thoughts or putting thoughts into our minds. Well, one of the girl, a woman who was a cat, pretty liberal, she's a libertarian, she said, I don't want this. The only thing I have that's my own are my thoughts, my interior life. So every being is composed of the material part of it and the formal part of it. In the case of plants and animals, that form is a living thing, but it's a limited one to matter in the place of human beings. What sets us apart from other beings is a spiritual soul which once it comes to be uh, and, and you know our, our formal um, our idea of it is that it could only be created by God 
So every single individual human being results from a direct creation on the part of the creator. And, not, and the soul, once it comes to exist, it never dies. The soul being the form of the body means that it's that which is the origin of our purpose of self-movement, our intelligence, all those things, and what sets us apart from other existing things. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's been brought to my attention that there's an outside chance that the phones may not have been turned on. But they are now, so pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. I have an email from Jackson. He says, can we use philosophy for evangelization? I just read Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle, and I find it very helpful. Yes, in fact, the churches often use philosophy. Certainly it's terms. So person, nature, when it comes to defining Christ, the intellect, the will, the passions, when it comes to describing our morals, all those things are philosophical terminology we got from philosophy. Uh, Catholic schools have often studied philosophy. Uh, St. Thomas, of course, is a, a consummate philosopher, but he's primarily a theologian, which many people don't recognize. But he was rediscovered in the 19th century to help us to deal with the problems created by the philosophy of the Enlightenment. And you can even see that in Holy Scripture. So much of the wisdom literature is highly influenced, not exclusively influenced, but highly influenced by much of Greek philosophy. Um, Athens does meet Jerusalem, which has always been a very famous problem for the Christians, because we do have a higher wisdom. On the other hand, to explain it and to see it in its full glory, we have to be able to relate it using philosophical terminology. And even... Um, St. Paul, remember, in his speech on the Areopagus, uses certain pagan poets, in him we live and move and have our being, is actually a line from pagan poetry as an attempt to uh, aid him in his evangelization of the Athenians. But most fittingly do we use proper philosophy. What we used to call in the old church, in Latin, philosophia perennis, the perennial philosophy that comes from Plato and Aristotle uh, as a tool to make clearer what Christ's message is to us. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Erica writes in, when Jesus prays for the cup of suffering to pass him in the garden, does that cup have anything to do with the Passover meal, or is he truly trying to give the responsibility away? Uh, I don't believe it has anything to do as such with the Passover meal, but describing a cup of suffering is a kind of common way of describing our participation in pain. Now, what Christ was doing is on two levels of his character, he shunned the passion. 
Namely, well, here's a good philosophical terminology for you. According to St. Thomas, there are three acts of the will, three aspects of the will. They go all drawn to good, loving good in us. The first is a good which is experienced as feeling. So it causes me sorrow, or I participate in the cup of suffering when I cut my body. The second would be the will as nature, because I have a natural tendency to preserve my own life. So when my life is threatened, this is also something which I um, shun. However, there's then the will as choice, which is the place in which morals consists. Now, a good analogy for what occurred in the garden is that many of us experience often, uh, in part, you know, when, when, when we're at a certain age, the suffering that comes to us from concupiscence, from pain, and from our life being threatened. But that doesn't mean that we change our will concerning what our good is. So, in the Middle Ages, the example St. Thomas used was an amputation. He said, suppose I told you that tomorrow you had to amputate your arm or die because it was loaded with gangrene. Now, you would shun that surgery. You wouldn't like it because it was going to hurt terribly and it's going to threaten your life. Yet, since you know it's the only way to save your life, you would embrace it under that aspect or that rubric. In the case of um, Christ, from the point of view of his will as nature and his will as pain and pleasure, he rejected the passion. But that wasn't the place where our will exists, our morals exist. He didn't run to it like, oh, hit me harder, we're not sadomasochists. But because he knew, because of the will of his father, that him suffering the passion and death was the only way to free us from original sin, such a great good was involved that he embraced it morally from that in his obedience. So even though the Lord doesn't um, think the passion is a good for him regarding his feelings in his personal life, the fact that he embraces it from obedience shows that he knows that it's a greater good because it will bring forth the salvation of the human race. And that good was so important. I suppose there could be an echo of it in the Last Supper, but it's not the same as the four cups of the Last Supper. Eight. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Um, Scott Hahn in his book, The Fourth Cup, is very clear that the Passover meal didn't include a fourth cup in Christ's case, which is very unusual. It's not part of the ritual. And he couldn't find the fourth cup until he became aware of what it meant when Christ on the cross drank the cup of suffering when he had the sponge put to his lips and then died. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Carol in New Jersey. We'll also visit Cincinnati, Ohio, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. That number again is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN radio family, KSHF 96.7 FM in Española, New Mexico, is celebrating nine years with EWTN this week. Congrats to Larry Martinez and his great team at St. Joseph Manionette Radio from all of us here at EWTN. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. If you tried at the beginning of the program and didn't get through, give us a shot now. We've got the phones open for you at 833-288-3986. Carol is in the great state of New Jersey. She's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Carol, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian Mullady. Oh, hi, Father. I'm calling because I have been listening to an Australian Catholic broadcast, and they were talking about the uh, destruction of the Second Temple in 70 A.D., and what the commentators said was that it was the Second Coming of Christ or the Middle Coming of Christ. And I had never heard anything like this, so I thought I would ask you, is this true that it's the second coming, or maybe you can explain it? Well, I've never heard that either. Uh, there's only two comings of Christ. There's the one in humility when he died on the cross, and then there's the one at the end of time when he comes again in glory, as far as I'm aware. Uh, and uh, the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., doesn't really enter into any of those dramas. In fact, the Jews are trying to rebuild the temple now. Uh, of course, they'll have to get rid of the Muslims of the Dome of the Rock, which might be a difficult feat. Uh, they're apparently breeding the red heifer, which was the sacrificial lamb to, to sacrifice animals again, which also seems very, very bizarre to me in this day and age. But no, I never heard any such thing. I think that's his own idea. Yeah, I wish we had more info, Carol. It's news to me as well. But thanks so much for the phone call. We appreciate it today. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to Cincinnati, Ohio. Bradley's listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Bradley, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hello, Father. Hi. Uh, so, um, I am Catholic. I uh, belong to the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Um, we had previously homeschooled our children, but uh, with Catholic homes week, uh, or Catholic uh, school week, you mentioned you have to uh, basically bring back the old church and teach how Catholic schools had taught in the past. 
Well, I, I have children now, and um, we have kind of a mixed result from them. Some, we had homeschooled them so we could teach them the faith at home. But that presents other problems, and our oldest went, broke away, and kind of went. We agreed that she could go to a, a school in Anderson Township, a secular school, which really didn't work out well, and it was during all the COVID thing. It was just a complete disaster. So I have four other children, um, and we can't really wait for the Catholic schools to um, get their act back together and teach the truth, um, especially nowadays with all the tablets, cell phones, laptops. What's your um, question? So we found a church in uh, outside of Cincinnati in northern Kentucky. It's part of the St. Pius X Church. So we go to Old St. Mary's on Sunday. Our chill, I it, actually I'm teaching chemistry and physics there. So we the children go to school there. I mean, I went through my parish priests, and um, you know they said, you know, I have the determination to decide what's best for the children, and I'm the primary educator. So we 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 jump to St. Pius the Tenth. Now they don't have any technology. They have whiteboards. Um, we so teach what's them books. Your question? So I mean, um, I guess I just want your views on that because it's kind of a um, kind of a um, a. Uh, um, I mean, it's not exactly. I mean, they say they're Catholic. I mean. I don't know what the the archdiocese um, and the Pope's view on that is, but um, they seem to be doing a good job with the kids and their teaching. I guess it's pre-Vatican, um, pre-Vatican II um, religion. Well, well there, there's no such thing. Um, the truth is always the same, first of all. Secondly, as far as the Pius the Tenth. There are things they teach that are false. So I'd be aware of that, and I wouldn't send my child to a place like that. Thirdly, I don't think you understood the point I was trying to make. And the point I was trying to make was, as a secular book, The Closing of the American Mind said in 1985, that schools, all schools, even the school I went to, which was a public school after I finished with the sisters, used to have the truth, the objective truth is their purpose. Now they don't. There's no such thing as the objective truth. So um, if you think that your child is getting something out of that, it's fine. But they're also getting some error out of it too, especially errors that have to do with Vatican II and other councils that all agreed on certain things. Regarding whether the archdiocese approves or not, that's neither here nor there. The question is, what's the content? And does the content correspond to an objective search for the truth or to a subjective one? Or is it just about looking, everybody looking the same and things like that? So uh, I would say that your option of homeschooling, even though it has some liabilities too, 
is today the probably the best, unless you can find a Catholic school, and there are them coming back. They have these classical schools that are coming back now in parish education, parochial school education. I can think of two just off the top of my head, in my knowledge, that do a classical curriculum, um, sort of like the great books. What I would not do is send my child, I don't know about you, but I, I sit there and watch the news and I think, oh my gosh, I couldn't possibly send my children to a public school today. I had a fairly decent public education, but they didn't get us into transsexualism and try to have us have sex change operations without talking to our parents. Or and The school didn't talk about anything like that. They just tried to educate you as best they could. So that's my reflection on it all. God bless you, Bradley. We'll keep you in our prayers. I had a terrific public school education as well, and I could not even fathom wading into that water today uh, with the, the way that things have changed. Right. Next up is Pam. She called us at 833-288-EWTN. She's in North Carolina listening on iHeartRadio. Pam, you're on with Father Milady. Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I was just wondering if the church had any um, logical teaching about um, all the news today about UFOs and how we should regard it. And the reason I even care is I'm afraid that we may get some message from somewhere that's, you know, contrary to truth and people are going to be fooled if they think it's real or something. Oh, yeah, Star Trek is the new philosophy. (laughs) I I don't think we have any opinion about that. I have to admit they're a mysterious phenomenon in the universe. Whether we still have, have space capsules or not from Mars, like they say the case in New Mexico, I, I'm not sure of that. I think that's probably, even then, that is still speculation, although there are very mysterious things in the universe. And, uh, but I, I would beware of extrapolating that too far. And the, the church really hasn't weighed in in, a, in an official no. manner, have they? No, not at all. I mean, to state that there are Martians that we need to evangelize them? No, no. God bless you, Pam. We head next to Denver, Colorado. Barb is in the great state of Colorado listening on the EWTN podcast. Barb, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Milady. Thank you. Uh, we had a conversation uh, at Bible study the other day, and I know that when they do the penitential rite during Mass, that venial sins are forgiven. Does receiving communion also remove venial sin? Uh, well, I assume so, but the purpose of communion is communion with God. So, obviously, they don't, it doesn't remove mortal sin. You have to go to confession for that. Confession is the primary sacrament where it forgives the sins is involved. But anything you do, venial sin is only sin in a certain respect. It's not formally speaking sin. It's only sin um, as viewed from a certain point of view because it leads us to, sin, to mortal sins. 
if the definition we have of sin, which is any word, deed, or desire contrary to the eternal law, is not any definition of venial sin, only a mortal sin. Venial sin is so named because of its relation to mortal sin, because it's the beginning of the corruption of the conscience, and it has, as often as its final result, the commission of mortal sin. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Bobby writes in, are purgatory, heaven, and hell outside of time? Uh, Purgatory, heaven, and hell are outside our concept of time, yes. Hell has... uh, has a beginning, but no end. Purgatory has a beginning and an end, and heaven has no beginning or end. Um, in heaven, God's time is Bach has a cantata called Bach's God's time is the best of times. And it's the eternal present. That's why in the liturgy, if you read the office, the divine office, for almost every feast, they believe the feast is sort of still going on in heaven. So, Hodie, Hodie Christus Natus Est, today Christ is born. Hodie, today the angels rejoice. Today the Holy Spirit descended upon us in the form of a dove, the great today of the liturgy. Hell had a beginning, but it will have no end. And then in purgatory, purgatory, remember, is a state of people who are worthy of heaven, but have certain unresolved issues from time that are not sins as such, mortal sins, certainly that need to be resolved, but the difference is on earth we can resolve these by active purification. So we can fast or we can have vigils or we can, uh, you know, humiliate ourselves by saying, asking pardon for things. In purgatory we can't do that. All of our suffering is passive. So we're ready, purgatory ends for us, once that's resolved. And um, the beautiful thing is that because there's a communion of love between saints and the people in purgatory and people on earth, that we through the church, by Christ's will, through his infinite treasure of merit, can influence what happens to each other, especially for the passive in purgatory. We can do active works to help benefit them and um, uh, accelerate their process toward final and complete integration. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 
3986. Still time for your phone calls. Want to invite you to join us for Conversations with Consequences Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Catholic movie director Alejandro Monteverde uh, will join uh, Dr. Grazy Christie discussing his new film, Cabrini, which will hit theaters on March 8th. That's Conversations with Consequences Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Jackie in St. Peter's, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Jackie, you're on with Father Milady. Yes. Hello, Father. This is Jackie. Um, nice to talk with you. Um, I have a question, actually a couple of questions. Uh, one, was Mary a virgin all her life? We, My Bible study class, we are talking about this now, and some people say, no, she, well, she was a virgin after she had Jesus, that then she was no longer a virgin anymore because they said she had uh, brothers and sisters. And um, I'm just wondering how, how that worked out. Actually, Father Mitch examined this on TV at the Mass, too. He said, let's get this out of the way now. Brothers and sisters are terms that refer to the extended family. There is no word in Aramaic for cousin. So if they were trying to express your cousins and things, you'd still also use the word brothers and sisters in the language Christ used. So it's a language issue of translation. No, Mary did not have any further children or any relations. She is total polk or s. She is all beautiful. And the same is true with St. Joseph. Did you have another question, Jackie? Uh, no, I guess that answers my question. Um, I'm, it, I, I, that's what the way I understood it, but other people said no, and they said, well, Joseph was... Also, the other question was that Joseph was married prior to Mary. He had been married before and had children. How, how, can, they hire, so, how can they possibly know that? I mean, there I, is, there's no evidence for that. Yeah. Is it the fact that Joseph is often portrayed as an old man? Because the reason the Christians portrayed him as an old man, you know, on the pictures, the icons, is precisely so he wouldn't be able to conceive. In fact, Joseph, in Jewish wedding customs, usually the bridegroom was about 20 and the bride was about 15 or 16 in those days, and Joseph was actually a young man, how could he fly into Egypt when he was 80 years old? It would be impossible. <laughs> I can barely get up the stairs, and I'm not that old. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, Joan, you're right. It, uh, we say, Blessed Mary, ever, ever virgin. That's what it means. So I don't know where all these ideas come from for Catholics. I do know for Protestants, because they don't like the virginity of Mary. But um, but one thing, Jackie, that she... Father, correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing Jackie can stand on is the perpetual virginity of Mary for her entire life has always and everywhere been the official teaching of the Church, right? Yes. Yeah, so there's something you can stand on, Jackie. Yeah, but why it's why these people change it? It's because today we have a sex-mad culture, and we hate the idea that Mary and Joseph could both have been virgins for life. 
Thanks, Jackie. We'll keep you in our prayers, you and your Bible study. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. We could probably still squeeze in a call or two at 833-288-3986. Eileen purchased a candle that had been blessed by a priest, and she wants to know if that is the sin of simony since she bought it knowing that it had been blessed. Oh, uh, if it is, it's a very minor venial sin. <laughs> uh, gosh, a candle is nothing. It means nothing. Uh, St. Thomas, even, when he talks about theft, because theft exists, admits of greater or lesser, as you know, uh, he says, you know, to steal an apple from a stand is always almost nothing. Now, we don't look on it that way because of our capitalist culture. But St. Thomas viewed that as minor and not really having to do much with morals. But he shouldn't have sold it to you if he knew it was already blessed. Because you don't sell blessing. The whole purpose of the idea about simony is Simon Magus tried to buy the power, spiritual power from the apostles so you could put a price on it. So the sin of simony is to try to sell the sacred. You can sell the material the chalice is made of. It's gold and things like that, but you can't. We don't bless it beforehand precisely to evolve, uh, resolve such confusion. Um, the next email on the stack is from Lucas. And he says, how can I prove and explain that Mary was ever virgin? Was Joseph a virgin as well? So I hope that Lucas was listening to Jackie's phone call today on Open Line Thursday, and he just got the answer to that question. Um, Chris says that he always gets himself tied in knots when he tries to explain the heresy of double predestination. Can you help simplify it for him? (laughs) No. I mean, that has crossed people's eyes for 500 years. Um, no, God never predestined you to go evil. He always predestined you to good. But because you have a free will in embracing the good, God tolerates the evil and knows what you'll choose. But he, he died on the cross that we might go to heaven and do good. All right, we're going to put our celebrity call screener, Tom Price, to the test. Wide open phone lines. Let's see if he can get you on the air with us in the next four minutes. Call us at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We'll keep with our Marian theme, Father. And Madison wants to know that if Mary was sinless, why did she need a Savior? Oh, well, because she's a human being. Um, she was this, uh, this is the famous problem of the Immaculate Conception. The reason the people in the Middle Ages, even St. Thomas felt that she was not totally sinless is because she needed to be redeemed. So he maintained she was conceived in sin, then immediately cleansed the moment she was born, period. Uh, Scotus gave a mother explanation which the church has accepted, that it was in light of her participation in all the saving activities of Christ that God kept sin from touching her so that she could participate in these in a fitting way. 
And we, uh, we, uh, I'm just laughing, Father, because I put out the call to test Tom Price, and every phone line is now full. <laughs> so, oh dear! Wow. <laughs> Um, here's a follow-up to a previous caller. Uh, Ray wants to know, what does the Catholic Church teach about the origin of hell? Because you did say it did have a beginning. Well, in, in Satan. Uh, <laughs> Satan was the first person who, in his original creation, the way the angels exist, is they have a choice between self and God. If they choose God, they go to heaven. If they choose self, they get that. They get whatever they choose. You did it yourself. You're responsible. So God says to Satan, okay, you chose yourself for all eternity. That's what you get. We call it hell. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie in Columbus, Ohio, is the winner of the sweepstakes, listening on St. Gabriel Radio. About a minute and a half left with Father Milady. Debbie, what is your question? Just a real quick question. My niece has... Um, kind of left the Catholic Church and joined a Protestant faith. And she came home the other day and she said, you know, Jewish people don't go to heaven. And I said, I didn't think that was the Catholic Church's position, but I didn't know how to answer a question. Yes, in fact, the program just before this one discussed that on this radio station. Um, uh, yes, you can... If you uh, have uh, implicit faith in Christ, you sincerely believe in what you believe in, and you're trying to do the will of God, you can go to heaven. And you can find that in St. Paul. St. Paul says there are two necessary things, this is in Romans, to be saved. The first, that you believe God exists, and the second, that you believe that he rewards good and punishes evil. God bless you, Debbie. We appreciate the phone call today, and that is going to bring us to the close of another edition of EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. We will be back at it tomorrow with our usual Friday program with Colin Donovan, our Vice President of Theology. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Blessing on Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our celebrity call screener, Mr. Tom Price, and social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. As I mentioned, we'll wrap up another week with EWTN's Open Line Friday tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until then, God bless.